Uh, if you were able to be at the conference, hopefully you were well-fed through that. And if you were not able to be there, hopefully you will be well-fed through the, the recordings and, and the audio uh, and the visual presentations. So uh, as, as Tim said, I do serve with Worldview Academy. Uh, it's been, been neat to connect with Tim and Alex and just, just connect with some of the students here at Trinity through camp. We, my wife and I were actually at uh, Florida State last year when, when the group rolled in, and uh, it, was a, it was just a, a fantastic week. Great group of students. Uh, one, of the, one of the key aspects of, of what we do with Worldview is, is we do these academic leadership camps throughout the country. Uh, and, and at these camps, we're, we're teaching apologetics, servant leadership, and, and biblical worldview to students. Uh, but it's not like watered down. It's, it's, we're, we're getting after it. Uh, we're asking hard questions and, and we're pressing into significant issues, training students, equipping them in, in a biblical worldview so that when they go out and they see counterfeit worldviews or there's other ideas that the world throws at them, they're able to identify those and to be able to have a defense for their own worldview. So we travel all summer doing these camps. My, my wife and I actually serve full-time with the ministry during the year as well. And so we wear a lot of different hats and get to be a part of a lot of different things. But, but camp is really the pinnacle for us. It's, it's when we get to see students' lives changed where the light bulbs go off and they go, wow, it's not just my mom's faith. It's not just my dad's faith, but this faith makes sense. It's not just a blind faith. And, and I think there's something about... Uh, all of us, but, but students in particular at, at camp, but, but really for all of us, there's something about removing ourselves from our current situation, from our day-to-day activities. We're not saying anything more profound necessarily than w- what you guys as parents are saying or what the parents of students are saying, but being removed from our normal situations, being removed from our media, being removed from our phones uh, we are able to hear God speak to us in a more uh, clear way. And so it's, it's been a blessing. We've served with Worldview Academy uh, for close to 15 years, and it's been a blessing to be a part of that. And I'm thrilled to be able to be here this morning. Uh, grateful that my wife Angela is here, uh, so you can greet her this morning as well. And, and grateful that my kids are not here um, Love them. They're fantastic. Uh, love that they are well taken care of in Texas, uh, which is where we call home. So um, happy Mother's Day to those mothers who are out there, and uh, we are just excited to be here. So let me pray for us. Um, this morning, we are going to uh, cover a topic that, that is not really a Mother's Day message, which is great, so I'm thankful there was a, a little bit geared towards mothers, because we're, we're going to talk about a war, uh, so not exactly, like I'm sure moms, that doesn't get you super fired up, but uh, we're going to talk about a little bit uh, of a war that's happening around us, but let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for the opportunity to gather together and the freedom that we have to do that, and just praise you that you are here in this place, and Lord, I ask that as we turn and and focus on your word or continue to focus on your word, Lord, that you would speak mightily, uh, that you would allow me to be out of the way, 
and that your spirit would work in us and among us and that you would be pleased with this time. So we're grateful for you and just uh, we honor you now. In Jesus' name, amen. So the war that we're gonna talk about this morning is, is not really a war with missiles and rockets and guns, although you know there, you could make a case that that's a part of this war. The war that we're gonna talk about this morning is a, is a war on the word of God. And we are in the midst of a war occurring on the word of God. And it's, it's a war for truth, it's a war for, for good and for evil. It's a war over what it, what it means to be human. Uh, it's a war uh, over life. And we're gonna, we're gonna dig into that this morning. And as, as Christ followers in this room, if you're a Christ follower in this room, if, if, you've, if you confessed and believed, if, if you identify as a Christian, if, if you are a Christ follower in this room, you are a part of this war on the word of God, whether you know it or not. And I remember a time when I did not know that I was a part of this war. I did not realize that I had been enlisted and that I was on the front lines of this war. Uh, I became a Christian between my senior year of high school and freshman year of college. Uh, during that time, I, I then went off to, to college and really got plugged in with a ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ. Many of you are probably aware of that ministry. Uh, got plugged in on campus, and really began to grow in my faith. Now, I, I went home most weekends uh, because my girlfriend at the time, now wife, was at home, and that's where I wanted to be. So I would go home uh, virtually every weekend, but one particular weekend in, I think it was January or February, I, I was going home, and I was going to stay with a, a very good friend of mine from high school, very good friend of mine. He uh, was also home for the weekend. He had gone off to Seattle. Both my wife and I are from Oregon originally, and so he, he had gone off to school in Seattle, and we were going to get to spend uh, a little bit of time together that weekend. I was going to stay with his family at, at his house. Uh, he grew up Catholic, grew up Catholic, uh, but had since, and, and I was not aware of this at the time, but had since renounced Catholicism and had become a staunch atheist, okay? So, so believing that God does not exist. And so I walked into to this situation, and, and we began to, to talk and spend time together and, and talk about truth. He began to ask questions about what you trusted Christ, what what do you mean by that? What does that look like for you? He began to ask questions about truth and about morality, about God and, and how as, as man we interact with God. It, have you ever been to the dentist or the doctor and you're sitting there and you're just minding your own business and the dentist or the doctor goes, okay, you're about to feel a little bit of pressure. Right? Well, we all, know, we all know that that's code for you're about to hurt really bad. Right? I don't know why they don't just say that because we all can interpret that now. But, but I felt like in that time that I was sitting in the dentist's chair and that there was pressure just coming in all around me. See, we, we talked for four or five hours that night. And if we were in a war, I was dead. I, I was a casualty of war because he absolutely destroyed every argument that I could make for Christ, 
for a biblical worldview. And I remember, and, and he and I are still very, very good friends to this day. I love him. I love his family. He and I can talk very candidly. Uh, he has not changed his worldview, uh, but he and I continue to have conversations. But I remember walking out of his house that weekend going, there's a war going on and I'm a part of it. And so what does that look like for us uh, as we understand this war on the word of God and how do we as Christ followers, how do we as a church come to be better stewards in the midst of this war on the word of God? Because really this, this war shouldn't surprise us. And I think part of the problem is that we become surprised that there's a war. We become surprised that we are under attack. If you have your Bibles, we're gonna jump around quite a bit this morning, so that, that may be a little bit different, but uh, we're gonna start in John chapter 15. So if you have your device, you can go to your device as well, but... Uh, John 15, we're going to just read a couple of verses here because I, I don't think we ought to be surprised that we are under attack, that the war on the word of God is occurring. So John chapter 15, starting in verse 18, it says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. It's a pretty strong language that Jesus is speaking to his disciples. But he's warning them that there's a war that's happening around them and they need to gird themselves. They need to be ready. They need to be prepared because they are fighting in this war. As Christ followers in this room, we are a part of this war on the word of God. And so how is it that we ought to respond? Because there are attacks that are coming from from outside the church doesn't take very long to, to see those attacks. We're, we're labeled as, as hateful, hypocritical, intolerant, discriminatory. There are attacks being levied all over from outside the church, but we're also being attacked inside the church. Is the, is the word of God still relevant does Jesus still have something to say to me in the year 2019 or was that simply relevant back in the first century? Do we really believe that Jesus can speak into our lives now? Do we have a God that, do we have a God that fits into a box that we've created for him to fit into or do we allow God to form the box in which we fit into? Is the word of God alive? Does it speak to us? Uh, if you're in John 15, go to the left, and we're gonna camp for just a moment in John chapter six. Because this war on the word of God is not new, and we ought not be surprised that it's here. So John chapter six, starting in verse 60 Jesus has, has just come out of a time when he's teaching his disciples about uh, the sacraments. He's teaching his disciples that in order to remember him, he, he's instructing them that they need to eat his body and they need to drink his blood, right? Really referring to the, the sacraments or communion or the Eucharist or however you describe that. 
And, and picking up in the story, his disciples are, are going to have a hard time with the words of Jesus. And so starting in verse 60, it says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. See, we see casualties of war. Now, when when it refers to disciples here in verse 66, oftentimes we think of just the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles, but we know from elsewhere in scripture that there were crowds that followed Jesus and then there was a, a number of disciples, okay, so intentional students of Jesus who, who that number was larger than 12, okay? And we know that when he sends out the 72, so it's at least 72 after that. But how are we preparing ourselves for this war on the word of God? And I have one primary point, one primary assertion this morning that we're gonna, we're gonna try to unpack. And that primary assertion that in order to combat the war on the word of God, we do not need new and relevant teaching. Rather, we need faithfulness to the teaching that we've already been given. We do not need new and relevant teaching. We need faithfulness to the teaching we've already been given. Because I don't don't know about you, but for me, if I'm in a funk and I need inspiration, oftentimes I will go and I will look for inspiration in the form of a new podcast. I'll go try to find a new author who who will inspire me or a speaker who will inspire me. If, I, if I'm facing an issue and I wanna be equipped, I'll go and find a new book to equip me. Now, I'm actually not allowed to do that right now. I'm under a book, a book purchasing moratorium. Uh, it's, it's self-imposed, but I'm not allowed to buy more books until I read all the books that I have, okay? So if you wanna give me free books, I can, that's fine. We can work around the system that way. But, but I will go, if I wanna be equipped, I'll go and look for a new book that will help equip me. Or if, if I want insight into a specific situation in my life, I'll go and talk to a good friend or a, a pastor and look for compelling insight that will speak into my life. And I would imagine that you are not much different than that that we look for new words, new methods, and new practices instead of looking for something that's tried and true in the words of life that we have. And I fear that this says a lot about our hearts, that we may not actually believe that this word of God can inspire us, that this word of God can equip us, that this word of God has insight into our lives today. Do we believe that the word of God can meet our need where we are right now? It reminds me of our sinful tendencies, and, and I think this is 
very clear in 2 Timothy 4, and you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but uh, I'm just gonna read one verse quickly from, from here. As, as Paul is writing to Timothy, uh, he says in, in chapter four, verse three, he says, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And I think that is a, a, a warning that we ought to take seriously because we live in a culture that wants their ears tickled, that wants God to fit in the box that they have already created for him. But we don't need new and relevant teaching. Rather, we need faithfulness to the teaching we've already been given. Now, some of this, I think, stems from the fact, I think one of the issues that we face, one of the reasons why we look for new and relevant teaching is that we believe that we live in a culture, we live in a time that is unlike any other time. I believe part of our problem is that we are culturally arrogant, We look at our technology and go, there's never been technology like this. There are new challenges that no other civilization in the history of the world has ever faced. We are set apart. Or maybe we look at the morality and the the definite denigration of, of morality and the depravity that exists in our culture and we go, surely there has never been a culture this depraved. Or, or we think about our time and how busy we are. It's mostly our fault, but we think about that and, and we go, well, there's never been a time that people have been so busy. These illustrate and display our arrogance. And I think there are some scriptures that speak directly to this, and I, I want to turn there. So if you're in uh, John or if you're in Timothy, go to the left and look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And I'm going to read Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9, and I'm going to read it in two different translations. I don't typically do that, uh, but I, I want to do that this morning because I, I want to read from a translation that's more literal, okay, so that's capturing the original Hebrew language and that that we can read in a more literal translation, but then I also want to capture this in our language today because I think it's important for us to hear that. So reading from the ESV in in Ecclesiastes 1.9, Solomon writes this, he says, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Reading from the NLT, the New Living Translation says this in Ecclesiastes 1.9, history merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. 1 Corinthians 10.13, and you can turn there if you'd like. You don't need to. Uh, again, I'm just gonna to look at one verse here. I'd love to have time to, to unpack the context of these verses, but, but you can do that on your own time uh, and make sure that what I'm saying is consistent with the context. But it says in, in 1 Corinthians 10.13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So if those are true, if Ecclesiastes 1.9 is true and if 1 Corinthians 10 is true, that there's nothing new under the sun and that no temptation is unique to us, then that means that we do not live in a different culture that is unrelatable to historical cultures. Now, just a, a quick pause here from, from 1 Corinthians 10.13 
No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. I think one of the greatest lies of the enemy is to convince us that when we face a struggle, when we face a temptation, when we face an issue, that we are the only one who has ever faced that issue. And so instead of bringing that issue to light, instead of confessing that to the Lord and coming alongside a community who can encourage us, we sit in the darkness and we wither in guilt and in shame. And I believe that's one of the greatest lies of the enemy. If you have an issue, it is not unique to you. There is nothing that is, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. If you find yourself in a struggle, in a temptation, the best step that you can take to move towards Jesus is to confess that. You're not gonna get heaps of guilt and shame poured upon you. You're not gonna get kicked out of the church. Probably. No, the the goal is not guilt and shame, right? You're not the only one who has struggled. Find Alex, find Tim, find somebody in your life that you trust that you can confess those to and they want to walk with you. Don't be content to remain in the darkness. Satan is lying to you. So back to, back to where we were, there's nothing new under the sun. When we have this mentality that, that we are unique, when we have this cultural arrogance, it leads us to a place where we're sort of mavericks. And, and I think about cowboys partially because I'm from Texas, but just this idea that no one can help me. There's nothing that can help me. I've got to figure it out on my own. We become prideful and we become self-reliant. In the name of Jesus, but we become prideful and self-reliant. We are the ones that need to find the solution. Jesus doesn't have one for us because this is a new time. This is a new situation and God's word doesn't speak to that. We also begin to devalue history. History has nothing for us. We can't learn anything from history. We're unique, we're set apart. I remember several, I guess it's probably months ago now, uh, when there were laws that were passed in Virginia and in New York regarding the issue of abortion. And you had people crying out all over the place that that we are on the verge of infanticide. We're ringing the bell of infanticide. We've never lived in a culture that has been so depraved. And I think we need to be careful of that. Second Kings Chapter six, and, and you can turn there if you want. You don't need to, uh, but Second Kings chapter six, we're gonna pick up in the middle of a story and we're gonna start in verse 26. Now as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, help my Lord, O king. And he said, if, if the Lord will not help you, how shall I help you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? And the king asked her, what, what is your trouble? She answered, this woman said to me, give your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we took my son and we boiled him and ate him. And on the next day I said to her, give your son that we may eat him, but she has hidden her son. When the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall and the people looked and behold, he had sackcloth beneath on his body. Happy Mother's Day. 
I wrestled with whether or not to read that, but we went ahead and did that this morning. Uh, but but the, there's nothing new under the sun. There's no temptation that is not uncommon to man. We, we look around at our culture and we see the rainbow flags and we see the issue of gender taking front and center in our culture. But, but we need not think, or many of us are familiar with the, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. God's destruction for their heinous acts. We live in a culture that's full of idol worship. Now, maybe not stone idols, uh, but we live in a culture that anytime we, we worship or have a greater treasure, a greater value that we place on anything other than God, that thing is an idol. And oftentimes, those things are good things. They could be our spouses. They can be our kids. They can be a godly preacher. We live in a time that is rampant with idol worship. But that's not uncommon. Acts 17, Paul's going through Athens. He comes before them and he says, look, I recognize that you are religious people. You even have an altar to an unknown God just in case you missed one. There's nothing new under the sun. What about divisions within the church? We have uh, Jen, Jen Wilkins, a great example. Jen Wilkins has quite the following. Maybe it's John Piper that you love or Paul David Tripp. Now, as those godly speakers and teachers and pastors, we, we want to honor them. If they're preaching the gospel and leading us to the feet of Christ, praise God for them. But when we begin to elevate them to a place that we ought not to elevate them, we run into trouble. When we begin to worship at the feet of Jen Wilkin, we, want, we, we run into trouble. But again, that's not unique to this culture. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 when he instructs the church of Corinth not to be divided. Don't say that you follow Paul or that you follow Apollos or that you follow Cephas. Did any, were any of you baptized in Paul's name? No, you're baptized in Jesus' name. Don't be divided, be united. We do not need new and relevant teaching to overcome this war on the word of God. We need faithfulness to the teaching we've already received. So let's take a closer look at faithfulness. What, what does that look like for us? How, how ought we to be faithful? Well, faithfulness, first and foremost, requires a person or an object. You can't just be faithful to, for the sake of being faithful, right? You can't just have faith in faith. Faith requires an object. And that object for us is, is the gospel. It's the triune God of the universe who we serve. So what does that look like, though? How, how, do, we, how do we become faithful? Well, the, the first step in becoming faithful is to make a decision to pursue faithfulness. Now, we know from the scriptures that the Lord is the one at work within us, that, that his spirit works within us to quicken our hearts towards Jesus. That's not something that we choose in and of ourselves. God draws us to himself. The spirit is at work within us. But, but there's, there's a role that we play in deciding to pursue faithfulness and to walk in faithfulness. We don't just accidentally begin walking faithfully. If left to our own vices, we will walk in the way of the flesh. 
So the first step is that we need to make a decision to walk in faithfulness or to pursue faithfulness. The second step is that we need to recognize the role of the Spirit within our heart, within our lives. Now, if if you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, according to Romans 10, 9, you are saved. And according to the scriptures, the Spirit indwells you. And he is at work within you to teach you and to exhort you and to correct you. The Spirit helps us to walk in faithfulness. But we need to recognize that we need help that we are incapable of walking in faithfulness on our own. Requires humility, requires submission to the Lord. Then we need to know the word of God. The third step is that we need to know and understand the word of God and be prepared that the word of God would be hidden within our hearts. I remember sitting uh, years ago in a a room of, of leaders in uh, a church we were at in Midland, Texas. And I remember meeting with the pastor at the time and he sat around and, and there were probably a dozen of us of men in this room and he asked a simple question. He said, men, if there was no Bible, if the Bibles were gone, how much of the word of God could we reconstruct based on what we've hidden in our hearts? It wasn't much. Do we know the word of God? I think of the temptation of Jesus, right? We see that in Matthew 4 as well as other places. When Jesus is drawn out into the wilderness and Satan tempts him, Jesus responds with the word of God. He is prepared. He is equipped. He knows. Now, Jesus, is, has, he's got a little bit of an advantage, right? Because he's the incarnate word. Uh, so he's, he's definitely a step ahead of us, but, but he knows the word nonetheless, and it's not just knowing the word up here, but it's allowing the word to, to come into our hearts and it, to be more than just head knowledge, but it's heart knowledge. Do we know the word of the Lord? And then do we live that out? There's such a connection in the scriptures between our, our knowledge and the way in which we live. James talks about this. James chapter one, verse 22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. See, if you think you know and yet you're not doing, then maybe you don't know. Now, certainly grace comes and and we are saved by grace and grace alone. There's no works that will save us. But the scriptures are clear that you will know Those who belong to Jesus by their fruit. So are we living out the word of God? Parable of the talents, right? Jesus or the the owner comes and gives five talents to one and he gives two talents to one and he gives one talent to the other. The, The one with five talents goes out and makes five more talents. The one with two goes out and makes two more talents. The one with one buries it in the sand because he's afraid. The owner of those talents comes back and there's, a, there's an accounting of what they've done with their talents. And the first two are praised for their faithfulness. And the last one is thrown out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, faith without works is dead. We need to pursue faithfulness 
But we also need to avoid the cultural norm to seek out and pursue shortcuts as a means of faithfulness. See, we live in a culture where shortcuts are rampant. Have you heard of Alexa or Echo or Siri? I mean, that thing is just sitting in your house. You can yell from across the house, hey, Siri, what's, or Alexa, what's whatever? What's the temperature in Honolulu right now? Or maybe, maybe for Orlando, what's the temperature in Antarctica? shortcuts. Google. We don't have to learn anything anymore. We just Google it. Maybe you're in school and and it's all about the grade. We want the piece of paper, the diploma. We don't need to actually learn. We have Google for that. Or maybe it's medicine. We maybe we get a headache and We don't want to actually change our lifestyle to adjust the reason why we have a headache. We just want to pop some pills so that we can keep doing whatever it is that we're doing. We look for shortcuts everywhere in our culture. But shortcuts don't actually give us the thing that we're looking for. All we get instead is a mere shadow of the thing in itself. may have the perception of that thing, but it's not actually. It's just a shadow. It's just an image of it. We cannot settle for a shortcut in our relationship with the Lord. If we want to pursue faithfulness, we don't just want the appearance or the shadow of faithfulness. We want to be found truly faithful. Now, not all shortcuts are evil, right? Elevators, great example. Who wants to climb a bunch of stairs? Not, I mean, sometimes I do, but usually elevators are a great thing. Microwaves, I mean, ovens and stoves, they take minutes. Microwaves take seconds, right? I mean, who's got time to warm up a Pop-Tart in the toaster oven? Put it in the microwave for three seconds and you are good to go. Airplanes, right? I don't know if you guys have heard of the Oregon Trail or played the Oregon Trail game, but people die, right? Thankful for the shortcuts of airplanes. So not all shortcuts are bad. But in a, in a world of modern conveniences, we have come to rely on shortcuts to get us where we want to go and accomplish what we want to accomplish while expecting that we will receive the same benefit as if we had labored along the hard road to achieve faithfulness. Faithfulness requires discipline. Requires discipline so that the man of God or the woman of God may be equipped for every good work. So we've, we've talked about faithfulness, but uh, I have three additional suggestions of, of how we survive this, this onslaught of the word of God. This war on the word, and, and the, these three build on each other. So three primary suggestions. One, if, if we want to, to practice faithfulness and, and succeed or to, to be found faithful in this word on, or this war on the word of God, the first thing we need to do is we need to recognize our responsibility. And it's not to somehow defend the scriptures. It's not to somehow win the war on behalf of the scriptures. Our calling, our responsibility is to be first and foremost faithful to what God has called us to do. It's not about your parents. It's not about your kids. It's not about your teachers, your bosses, your friends, your pastors. 
What has God called you to and are you being faithful in your walk with the Lord? It's about you so that it becomes about Jesus. Focus on your faithfulness. Recognize our proper responsibility. Second thing, we want to preach the gospel. We want to preach the gospel. See, our job is not to to win souls to the Lord. Our job is not to, to convert or to harvest or to reap. Our job is to plant and to water, to, to till the soil. 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 7, says, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. But God is the one who brings the harvest. We need to go out and preach the gospel. We need to be faithful to proclaim the words of the Lord. Not just with our, with our lips, but with our lives. We need to preach the gospel. And as we preach the gospel, we need to remember that our job is not to fix a broken world. Our job is merely to bring those who need fixing, i.e., all of us, to bring those who need fixing to the only one who can fix, to the only one who can, who can harvest. We need to preach the gospel in season and out of season. And then third, we need to become the ambassador that God has called us to be. See, being an ambassador for Christ, uh, according to Paul as he's writing to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he calls us to be ambassadors. He calls the Corinthians to be ambassadors. An ambassador is not just someone who speaks for Jesus. An ambassador is someone who is a physical manifestation, a representation of the person who has sent them. So in that room, when there is an ambassador, it is as if Jesus is there. You are the ambassador for Jesus to a watching world. We can't take that ambassador hat off and set it to the side. We need to pursue faithfulness in being an ambassador. Reminds me of a a time... My family, we go back to Oregon quite frequently. Both Angela and I are from Oregon originally. Uh, all of our parents are there. And so we have three kids, so that means grandparents are there. So we try to get up to Oregon a couple of times a year just to, to see grandparents. Uh, and we typically go back for Christmas. And so we, we're in the Portland airport. And we, we had just finished our, our time there and, and we're flying, I think it's over Christmas, but we're flying back home to Texas. And we had uh, booked a, a, an early flight because anytime you go east, you lose hours. And so we like to, to get a, a head start on the day that way. And so with three young children, I think they were probably, they were probably eight, seven, and two at the time. So we had our, we had our hands full. Uh, and we had gotten them up early so that we could get to the airport. Uh, to, to make matters worse, my, my oldest son was sick. He had a, he had a fever and he was uh, not feeling well. And so we get to the airport and we, we begin to sit and, and uh, the, the worker with Southwest Airlines gets on the intercom and says, okay guys, I've got some bad news. Your, your plane is delayed. There's a maintenance issue. 
I don't know about you guys, but for me, one of the worst things that can happen in my life is a plane gets delayed. It just does something to me, and I hate it. I hate it, because I had just worked so hard to get my family out the door at four or five o'clock in the morning, gotten my three kids and drug them out of bed. We made it to the airport. My oldest son is lying across several chairs because he's not feeling well, and now you're telling me that the plane is delayed? It's just not gonna work for me. So I began to get frustrated. My blood began to, my blood pressure began to increase. Now, my wife knows this about me, and so she just got a little more quiet. Uh, and, and our kids were doing whatever they were doing. Our oldest was laying out on the chairs. And, and about 30 minutes later, so we just, we continue to wait. We continue to wait and try to be patient. And about 30 minutes later, they get on the intercom and say, okay, guys, uh, the plane's been delayed another hour. <sighs> Not good. Not good. Uh, I was not in a good place. And I began to get extremely frustrated, wondering, God, I see hundreds of airplanes. Can't we just have one of those? Why do we have to have this one? And I began to, to pace. And, and our daughter uh, came to, to us, and uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with, in airports, there's oftentimes moving walkways that, that, you know, so you don't actually have to walk, again, shortcut, but you get to just stand and it walks for you. Anyway, uh, our kids love those things, and, and in the Portland airport, there's like a, there's two that are back-to-back, so they can just sort of go in this circle, and there happened to be two right across the way from where we were in the gate. So she said, can I just go and play on those the moving walkways. And we said, yeah, you can go. Get out of here. Angela's like, yeah, please get out of here. Because uh, I, I was pacing. I was mad. They get on the intercom about 30 minutes later. Say, uh, your plane's been delayed another hour. No, no. No, it hasn't. See, now <laughs> we're, we're three hours delayed. So now the justice of God must kick in and you now owe me something. My family is sacrificing. And so I am just, I am fuming and I just begin walking around the airport. So now I'm no longer just pacing back and forth. I am walking around the airport and I walk by the moving walkway and our daughter is talking to another little girl. And it's not, it's not uncommon. She's very social. And I I hear the word Jesus what are they talking about? But I, I, was too, I was too fired up. And so I'm walking and I'm just pacing and I see my daughter just doing laps with this girl. They're just talking and in step with one another. Well, they get on the intercom finally and they said, okay, our, our, pl- our plane is fixed. Or maybe it was a new plane. Maybe God heard my prayer. But we have a plane and we, we can get on in 15 minutes. So I go and sit down. I I need to sort of let the blood return to normalcy in my body. And at that time, our daughter comes running up to us. I'm sitting next to Angela. Our youngest is asleep in his car seat because we got him up at four o'clock. And our oldest is asleep laying out on the chairs because he's sick. And our daughter comes running up to us and says, Mom, Dad, I just shared the gospel with this girl and she trusted Christ. 
being someone who cares about theology and, and good biblical teaching, I immediately asked her, what did you say? <laughs> she, she shared the biblical gospel and I, <laughs> I was floored. I was leveled. See, not only had I taken that ambassador hat off, but I had thrown it across the airport. I had stomped on it. I had burned it. I was like, I want nothing to do with being an ambassador for Christ right now. And my precious seven-year-old daughter, in the midst of a moment that God had ordained, shares the gospel. And I'm not here to judge that little girl's heart, but... (laughs) How cool would it be when we get to heaven for my daughter to look over and see this girl. She goes, I'm here because you shared the gospel with me. You made the most of a moment in an airport in Oregon. We're called to be ambassadors for Christ. We're called to recognize our responsibility to be faithful to preach the gospel and let God harvest and then to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. We don't need new and relevant teaching to win this war on the word of God. We need faithfulness to the teaching that we've already been given. Go back to John chapter six. So we we read the story of many disciples turning away because it was hard. But I love what happens next. So many disciples, starting in verse 66, have turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, he turned to them, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, we we see Peter get it wrong a lot in the scriptures. We see him put his foot in his mouth. We see him make some mistakes. But Peter absolutely nails it here. We have nowhere else to go. We can turn to Jesus. He is the only one with words of life. We're in a war. You're a part of it. You've been enlisted, whether you like it or not, if you're a Christ follower in this room. Let's pursue faithfulness, preach the gospel, and be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for your word that speaks life into us. Lord, we know that we cannot be faithful on our own, that left to our own vices, we will wander. Lord, would you draw us back to yourself and equip us. Lord, that we may reflect you well to a watching world as an ambassador for you. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for this weekend and the blessing that it's been to me and to my family. Thank you for this church. Pray that you would... Bless them in mighty ways. And God, that their impact here in this community of Titusville, that you would bless them and that they would continue to impact this community, this culture with the words of your gospel.
Jesus, we love you. We recognize that we need you, and we just thank you for this time, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.